Life was filled with guns and wars All of us got trampled on the floor I wish we'd all been ready Children died, the days grew cold A piece of bread would buy a bag of gold I wish we'd all been ready There's no time to change your mind The sun has come and you've been left behind Hey everybody, I'm Jeremy And I'm Jonathan And we are the Evangelicals The song that I started with today was actually written by Larry Norman, uh, but then it was made more popular in the 90s by DC Talk when they were touring their Jesus Freak album. New thing. Oh, yeah, Jesus it Freak. It was Jesus yeah, Freak. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. the later 90s. It was the, They toured, and they actually then recorded and that If you could have seen me, I was waving my phone because I didn't have a lighter. <laughs> That's a yeah, new, thing. It's a new yeah. thing, right? Waving the phone. <laughs> That's exactly right. Everybody, turn your, turn your flashlights on. Yeah. So... So I started with that song because it was really um, indicative of the mood and the spirit in which I grew up personally in the 90s, the spirit of uh, Y2K, great fear in the church, um, fear and hope. Some were hopeful sure. that Jesus was coming back. The rapture was going to take place. And we had promised on our last episode that we would eventually we would be talking about the end times today. So if if this is your first your first time listening to our podcast, we would encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episode before this one because I think it helps give some context on why we're talking about the end times and prophecy in the way that we are going to be talking about it today. And that song was the soundtrack for a movie called A Thief in the Night. Mm. Where the opening scene may would be one of the most terrifying things I've ever I mean, it's really just, it's, it's shattering, but it, it plays into that people start, are missing. And mm. this girl walks up and, and, or wakes up and sees her husband's gone. And there's this blood curdling scream. And that's the way this movie begins of, um, that the raptures happened and, and some people are gone and some people are left behind. Right. So that's, that's where the, that song really took up popularity. Took up popularity. Right? Yeah. And then DC Talk brought it back, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, Jeremy, and I, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about our context growing up as evangelical Christians. And then we're going to talk about kind of the American context, where the context that we came to know, where it came from. And then we're going to talk about maybe where we go from here and, and um, thoughts about the end times. So uh, I have told this story, I think, once on the podcast uh, but when I was when I was 12 years old in the late 90s, there really was this this sense of uh, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and what that's going to look like is it's going to look like there's going to be a rapture that happens first, and then there's going to be tribulation. So when I was 12 years old, I was at a church camp uh, in uh, West Central Ohio, and we all of us children woke up one morning. I was 11 or 12 years old. All of us woke up, and our counselor's clothes were in piles on the floor. Or they were in their beds, but they were all gone. They had all been raptured. And there was one male counselor and there was one female counselor at the camp. There were probably 120 kids, probably six male cabins, six girl cabins, uh, female cabins. And, and, and we, um, 
but but one counselor of each gender had been left behind and they come out and they are just beside themselves you know um one of the counselors says that they've been you know messing around sexually with their um <laughs> with their boyfriend or girlfriend and the Sorry. other one and the other no I'm, I'm serious they're they're giving us they're giving us the reasons why they've been left behind you know their their sin or their lack of faith or their lack of integrity has made them not worthy of being raptured you know um and so it's just funny we, they created sins for themselves too well yeah so i mean it's the whole thing is it's theatrics well you don't know that it's theatrics yet spoiler alert <laughs> so maybe there are people thinking were they raptured well so so anyway we all get to the we all get to the tabernacle and what happens is a bunch of 100 or so 11 and 12 year olds start scheming on how we're going to survive the tribulation and what's what is interesting about this is you know for younger people listening to the podcast this is pre-cell phones so the idea of of like calling home it's all landline stuff you know and the thought is you know our parents have probably all been raptured and you're not getting twitter updates saying something's no. happened in the world or no. you're not be, you can't check this was really news. kind of the last the last decade of kids being somewhat primitive in yeah. a, in a sense like at a camp you know and so it worked pretty well like the kind of the sense of fear that that is kind of in all of the all of the kids there you know and we we all start scheming on how we're going to make it through the tribulation you know what we should do and eventually all of the counselors come out from the back of the sanctuary they're all dressed in white and a majority of us got saved you know for the second or third time or whatever you know and <laughs> Hopefully it was genuine that time, so that if the rapture happened again, you know, none it's of just us. It's interesting would be to me that line. no kids were were making it. You all were sinners. That was, you know, looking back, it is kind of fascinating because there really were some very righteous children. Yeah, yeah this, this just some great sweet. Well, I mean, you were there, hearts, right? You, know? like, you were there. <laughs> I probably wasn't among the most righteous, but it is interesting. At that point in my life, I really did start considering critically how what God thinks of righteousness, hmm. which it's not that God is indifferent to righteousness. I, I really, I really don't want to make little of that idea, but, um, I did though, at that point in my life, that was the first time I remember thinking to myself, is this, is there something wrong here? Yeah. Is there something kind of kooky yeah. about this? You know, for the first time in my life, I was really suspicious of my own faith tradition you know yeah and um i mean i did i remember i remember y2k sitting with my friends and i i gripped the table as the as the clock struck um struck you know midnight because i really i mean i was i grew up in a in a spirit of fear of of tribulation christ coming you know all of this type of stuff and i i i didn't know that we were going to make it out alive you know um, just with the different prophecies and the things that people were saying at that particular time in history, you know. Um, so, uh, that, that's some, give me some of your context. What, what do you grow up just kind of remembering? Yeah, or thinking? I've never had a camp experience like yeah. that. Like few I'm have, just, Jeremy, few have. <laughs> I, you know, I've planned camps, and I'm just trying to think about the meeting that those leaders had and said, "All right, this is what we're gonna do." <laughs> and like, what was going through? The, anyways, all right, I digress. Um, 
I, I, but I, I remember watching the movie A Thief in the Night, um, in at church. I don't remember if it was our youth group or, but I do remember seeing that. Um, hey, for those of you out there who think it might be a good idea to watch this film, don't watch it with your kids. Okay, so like if you if you hear Jeremy say, "Oh, I'm gonna go," you know, on YouTube and find this, just don't watch it. With I'm your just kids, gonna. Okay? I mean, if you want to watch it just to say you've seen it. But I, you, your life's going to be all right if you don't, I guess. Yeah, yeah. In, in your theology, you'd probably be a little better if you don't. Um, I I remember a lot of that language. Um, I remember, you know, going to teen camp and, and probably hearing a lot about um, fear. And and, and it, it did have this feel of not wanting to go to hell. Um, it did yeah. have a lot of this... Yeah this let's not do the this it was more of what we were against or what we didn't want to do and there wasn't a whole lot of but this is who we are and this is what we believe is good and this it and i think you're right you said earlier that there was some hope i think that that people did view it as hopeful but i feel like the hope came out of a place of fear and not out of a place of love not out of a place of of we believe God is, is good. And, and so I think that it, and you know, a lot of people have said, um, steam, even in my local context, you know, cause I try to come at things just from a little different perspective of like, I just, I can't believe that I believe these things for so long. And I think that a lot of it, and I think what we're going to get into is it wasn't that the people that, that taught me or taught my Sunday school class, we're doing it from a place of of ill intent. I think they were just teaching what they had been taught. Like it, it didn't just come out of nowhere for them. It it, it has a history, not a real long history, but it, it they were doing the best that they yeah. knew how to do. That's right. Because that was the narrative and the story that they were given from the people that taught them. And, right. and so I don't know that we have we look at the people your camp counselors. I don't know that we look at them and say, how dare they and be upset at them. I think we have to go back a little further and understand that, that they were doing the best with what the, the narrative and the story that they had been given. And, and now it's up to us to, to try to dive deeper into that and try to chart a better path forward, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about just the history of evangelicalism, particularly in America and the context in which, a lot of the ideas of biblical prophecy tied with current events has come from the different storytellings, the different um, ways that we've interpreted the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation. So I, I want to go back really to the Protestant Reformation. I think that it's that it we ought to note that Martin Luther, really the, the significant thinker um, leading the charge of the break away from the Catholic Church, he was a man who was very tormented in his own spirit. He really um, thought that the devil was after him. He he um, really was was very was very uh, heightened and aware of evil. And coming the Reformation came at a time really in human history that was really tough. I mean, there wasn't there weren't incredible medical breakthroughs. I mean, uh, the life expectancy for for uh, the mortality rate for children was very um, high. I mean, it just. Uh, the the time of the coming out of the Middle Ages, the the time in which the Reformation in the West was birthed, really was a tough time to be alive, and people understood 
bad things that happened in their life to be a part of the judgment of God. This was a really important part of Reformation and post-Reformation theology that we don't talk about. We kind of, we, we romanticize the past, I think, and we talk about old school type preachers as people preaching hellfire and brimstone, but there really was, this was the dominant Protestant Christian like preaching narrative coming out of the Reformation was this idea of judgment really until we get to uh, uh, the point of um, past Puritan Christianity to the time of the awakening, the first awakening in America and in Great Britain. And, and the conversation we're having today, I think we also should be mindful of is very much a Western kind of American conversation. The way that other parts of the world talk about uh, the end times or eschatology are honestly just as influenced by their histories as ours is influenced by our history. But I think what that's a huge piece because we have to understand that when scripture was written, it wasn't written in a Western context. And so anything that a Western mind brings into that to, to better understand a biblical view of eschatology, we have to get at it from a different culture, a different perspective because you're right, most of what we think about those things are just not what the Bible was saying about those things, but they're things that come out from of our culture and 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 speak into uh, or reading into what we read in the Bible um, and, and we apply our understanding um, and, and try to impose that on Scripture rather than letting Scripture teach us from its perspective on how we should view these things. So after... After the American Revolution and after the French Revolution, which were significant wars, Huge. I mean, and like imagine if you're like living in those times, uh, your whole world is being just transformed. The understanding of like monarchy, the way that the way that the world works, everything's being changed. Um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be reading from uh, a book called uh, Guaranteed Pure by Timothy Gloge, which talks about the development of evangelicalism in, in the United States in the um, first half of the 20th century, particularly. Um, but he has some great insights as far as kind of eschatology and what people were thinking. Um, so this is from Gloge. Um, he says, uh, since the French Revolution, a small group of so-called premillennialists had begun applying a plain interpretation to biblical prophecy. Their core conviction that Jesus would physically return to earth and establish a literal 1,000-year earthly reign quickly spiraled into off-putting speculations. Uh, they searched prophetic texts for evidence of current events proclaiming Napoleon to be the Antichrist and current wars to be Armageddon. So I think that, I think that we, we read the prophetic texts in this tradition 150 200 years later and we th and we hear modern day prophets talking about how these different figures in our current times apply to biblical texts but the fact of the matter is christians have been doing this for hundreds of years yeah once again we're just living into the narrative that was given to us passed on to us about reading the tea leaves or reading whatever's going on and then reading these this end time understanding into that right so in the in the 1840s this is Gloge again the fears came to a head. Uh, the leading premillennial advocate of the in the United States, William Miller, claimed that his esoteric numerical science had pinpointed the exact day of Christ's second coming to October 22nd, 1844. His followers quit their jobs. They sold their belongings and donned white ascension robes to wait for the Savior on roofs and hilltops. Um, well, Jesus didn't come back on that night. And 
this this moment is kind of significant um for for many reasons people in that in that time uh who understood themselves to be christian but not to be crazy started wanting to there there became in america not just denominational um distancing um because that there's always been denominational division shoot the united states of america was kind of founded on this idea that um uh, what quakers and mennonites live in pennsylvania catholics live in maryland new york is full of all of the crazies i mean that's kind of the early and that's why we were the united states originally right and there was this neutral language about christianity in our like in our constitution our early documents of the um the declaration of independence we, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a place where these people with these different beliefs can kind of all believe different things. So we've always believed different things, but then really in the mid 19th century, people started distinguishing themselves as far as what they believed about the end times and this type of stuff. And, and Pentecostalism grew out of that then, you know, in the, in the early 20th century. And that's not what this podcast is about today necessarily. But what's interesting is around this time, um, there was a, Christians were, they were believing in premillennialism that Christ was going to come back. But this, this idea of date setting went against what Jesus had said in the book of Acts in the last, um, no one knows the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. Right. And so there was, there was a leading brethren figure from the church of the brethren named John Nelson Darby. And for him, the problem stemmed, stemmed from debt date setting and in, in all of this kind of pre-millennial controversy, this, these debates about when Jesus was coming. Um, so this is a uh, again. The Bible clearly taught that no one knew the hour of Jesus's return and more Darby asserted this event coincided with the rapture, which was an instantaneous gathering of all true believers to heaven. Only then after the rapture, would the other biblical prophecies be literally fulfilled? And so Gloge kind of points to Darby as the as the moment in history where people started recognizing, oh, what's going to happen first is the rapture is going to happen and then the tribulation is going to happen. And I think that we have this idea that in all times throughout, throughout history, the last 2,000 years of Christian history, people have been waiting for the rapture to happen. But that's not necessarily the case. It's really mid to late 19th century in America, particularly that as a stop safe against date setting, there was this innovation of, you know what, what we need to start getting people ready for is the rapture and make sure that they're ready for the rapture because it's when the rapture happens, that's when Christ is going to come back. But this really, this idea of the rapture is not a historically, you know, Christian narrative or historically Christian idea. Now, there are scriptures in the New Testament that talk about Jesus coming back like a thief in the night mm -hmm. and talk about people being enveloped and enraptured, right? But the idea of the, to get to where we are with the kind of like the Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins, vivid story, um, the thief in the night, those are very much kind of an American telling of conflating the different end times prophecies and putting them together in this kind of story. So I think that um, this may, this may be bold. I don't know, but I think people who, who read revelation and Daniel and somehow think that they were speaking about the year 18, whatever, or 2021, I think it's the most arrogant thing I've ever heard in my life. Speak to that. Say, say, say more about I that. I think that, um, when the book of Daniel was written, it was actually written to people who were trying to live in an empire in Babylon back then. And it made sense to them. Like they didn't read it and think, why is Daniel saying this? Like, would, 
I wish I knew what he was understanding. When John wrote the, the Revelation, it was to seven churches in modern day Turkey. It was a circuit and that book would have been read uh, across that circuit to those seven churches. And when they heard it, I don't think they were thinking, man, I wish I understood what he was talking about. They knew exactly what he was talking about because it applied to their lives and what they were going through. And yet we have this understanding that when they wrote that, they were thinking of Christians who were going to be living in the year 2021 and the My Pillow guy, right? And 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 how arrogant of us to think that that they wrote these letters for these churches, but it made no sense to them whatsoever. I'm sorry, I'm getting pretty wrought up no, about this. No, yeah. And and I think that we would do better to understand what the book of Revelation meant for those seven churches. And when we do that, I think it speaks even more into our current context, not because it pinpoints a date, not because it um, tells us how things are going to unfold for us. I think it shows us and what it spoke to them was how do you be faithful in the midst of what you're going through, what you, what the, the circumstance you find yourselves in, how do you be faithful to God and when you're not in control? And then I think the other arrogant thing that I think is just crazy is, and I think that the danger is we can often think that our world is the world. And so we are very fortunate to live in a country where we aren't persecuted for our faith. And we have some Christians have this understanding that God would never let his church be persecuted yeah. and God would never let his church go through that. And so the, the this rapture is going to happen before so that we don't have to endure that. And, and that comes from a very individualistic, narcissistic understanding of what. Um, what I see in front of me is what I think is happening in the rest of the world. And yet there's Christians all over the world who think we're in the tribulation right now because they, they are getting are killed. They are in the tribulation. Yeah. Like, They're getting like killed. They are in the tribulation. And so for me to say God would never let his church go through that, how, could I go to Sudan and say that same thing? Or would they look at me and be like, what are you, how, how do you, how did you even come to that conclusion when when we are going through it, like we're getting our heads cut off. Like we are literally going through that. And so for, for Christians in America to say, God would never let his church go through that. Once again, is one of just the most arrogant misunderstood um, things about how we should view the Bible and what the Bible says. And, and unfortunately we've been doing that, as you said, for, for several, you know, hundred years, but I think that we have to do better in understanding that once again, where I find myself is not the world, it's where I live, but to be faithful to the biblical text and understanding of what's going to happen. And once again, this is not a new thing, right? Like there's been groups throughout history, um, even since I've been alive, where we've seen this understanding of, of fear and trying to um, to get people to to segregate, to quit their jobs, to, to do something different because they got to get ready. Yeah. Sorry, that was that was no, a passionate rant. No, I I, I I agree with I agree with the, the things that you're saying, the sentiments that you're saying. And the I think that the the evangelical Christian who is listening to these voices, I think they would ask the question, well, what do you do with kind of fill in the fill in the blank scripture? I'm gonna read one of those scriptures. Okay. So this is Daniel eight. And, and there are several things about about Daniel eight that are just that are compelling and that have been used in narratives, you know, trying to this trying to kind of take this text and put it into um, contemporary context. So this is this is Daniel eight. When their kingdoms are at an end, 
When the measure of, I'm starting in verse 23, when the measure of transgression has been filled, then a king will arise, impudent and versed in intrigue. He will have great strength, but not through his own strength. He will be extraordinarily destructive. He will prosper in what he does and destroy the mighty and the people of the holy ones. By his cunning, he will use deceit successfully which I would just say um, there have been many leaders in my lifetime and many leaders, I'm sure, before that for which this this um, text could be applied, um, particular those, particularly those leaders that surround themselves with lawyers. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, just in our... In our uh, by his cunning, he will use deceit successfully. I mean, that's that's the law machine in America, you guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, again, I don't mean to just apply out of context, but if we're going to no, apply no, it to no, our, no, 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 no. I, that seems pretty. <laughs> it seems pretty. Applicable. I think that would be good because that's probably what he was speaking to in his day, right? Yeah, right. I mean, using the systems of power, right, successfully. Yeah, he will make great. You know, these people that are like that are like, uh, you know. You don't, uh, you don't pay taxes. Like, well, I pay lawyers to find the loopholes. So it'll be, you know, I've heard of these massive corporations, you know, that haven't paid taxes for years or whatever, right? I mean, okay. So anyway, this is, but we're talking about Daniel, not about right, America. Right, right, okay. right, right, right. He will make great plans, will destroy many, taking them unawares, and will rise up against the chief of chiefs, but will be broken, not by human hands. What was said in the vision about evenings and mornings is true. Now you keep the vision a secret, for it pertains to far-off days. So what's interesting about this, this passage in Daniel is that people kind of going through the Bible looking for the early premillennialists and the dispensationalists, people that understood history in a chronological type of way of different eras in which kind of the final, the penultimate, the ultimate era is the penultimate era is an era of tribulation, and then the ultimate final end is the thousand-year reign of Christ. Um, they they went through the scripture looking for for scriptures that could apply to their kind of sophisticated rubric of the way to read history. And Daniel eight is wide open for this. Mm-hmm. It's wide open for it mm-hmm. because I read it and I'm like, oh. Far off days from Daniel. Mm-hmm. That's got to be my lifetime, mm-hmm. you know. And ever, but but the thing is, Jeremy. Everybody looking for this has gone to this passage and has said, they're talking about my lifetime. But let's be honest. Anybody that reads that now is far off days from Daniel. Right. Because they, you you were talking beforehand about the Civil War. And I think that, um, and then every war beyond that. Well, to your point, to your point, the, the, the scriptures that talk about the armies of the North. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Christians in the South that believed, you know, very heavily that, you know, in a sense that, uh, you know, Paul said, Paul spoke to slaves, so we're supposed to keep slaves and the armies of the North, they're rising up. I mean, those people in the South in a very serious way, I am not joking at all here. Those people read the biblical texts in the 1850s and 60s and they were like, this is us, you know, we're the righteous. And what's, what's interesting, I mean, we are living 150, 160 years later, and what are we still hearing? The South will rise again, in a very like, uh, in a very Christian with with Christian undertones. 
Sure. You know, and because because we have this way of reading the Bible in America particularly that looks at our context. This is why we want to be a Christian nation, why we see righteousness as a nation so important, because we want to be one of the nations that the Bible is talking about. And it's kind of heartbreaking to think like, maybe we're a godless secular nation. You know, that like that that's too heartbreaking to consider sure. for many Christians. That takes us out of the biblical narrative. That doesn't make us a major, you know, player. That doesn't make us the center of the Bible story. And the fact of the matter is, in in the United States, since our inception, Christians have been saying that the United States is the culmination, the pinnacle, the center of the biblical story. Where the where the and this is this is this is Mormonism. I mean, essentially like you know, this is the ultimate, the ultimate revelation comes to Joseph Smith that he might lead his people and they might live into a great kingdom. And this is the progressive revelation of Jesus Christ to now. And even though some of us would say, you know, many evangelical Christians would say, oh, Mormonism, those Mormons are crazy. Well, we believe things that are very similar to Mormonism. We just don't have a, we don't say that we're, we say that we're following Jesus. Yeah. We don't say that we're formally following Joseph Smith. They admit that they're following the, the writings of somebody else. We say that we're following Jesus, but the fact of the matter is we f- we fill our time with podcasts and books and stories of people that are not Jesus selling us very similar theology to kind of manifest destiny and read, read Christian fiction novels as gospel truth. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting... Um, so we like to speculate about dates. We also like to speculate about things like Antichrist um, and and who that is and who that isn't. Uh, it was very interesting. So the guy that wrote the Revelation, God, John, also wrote a letter that we call First John. And in First John 2, what is so interesting is he talks about um, Antichrist. And in John, First John 2, he says... Anybody who denies that Jesus is the Christ is antichrist. It's it's not a that we're looking for one person. And, you know, when John was writing about this, he had somebody in mind who was not who didn't promote who Jesus was. So it's interesting that the same guy that wrote the Revelation also talked about antichrist in another one of his epistles um, to the church. But we don't listen to that one as much as we want to um, to talk about. And, and, you know, you can make any any play. You know, some people thought it was Ronald Reagan and some people thought it was Donald Trump. Some people thought it was Bill Clinton. And some. I mean, what's interesting is whoever our enemy is. Well, I, I heard Barack Obama a lot. Barack Obama a lot. And, you know, but I and then we and people, use and people these, were like looking uh, looking for uh, they were making connections of the way his name was spelled yes. or like his genealogy or like and they're and they're, it adds up tri- to this number six 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 yeah and I saw one formula that if you really wanted to you could um, add up Barney the dinosaur and get the the number six six you know like yeah, we funny. find yeah, things yeah, that sure, sure. that we 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 can get to wherever we want to we can figure out a path to get to the ultimate destination that we want but most often it has to do with who I am against or who I think is the enemy and I attribute and I, I bring the Bible into my narrative rather than me trying to find myself in the gospel or in the understanding of what the scripture is trying to tell us about the world, I think. Um, so the the thing is, is Jesus did talk about the end of the age. Sure. 
and the New Testament and the Bible do talk about the end of the age. And so I don't want to, I don't want, if you, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking to yourself, like these guys, they're just dismissing, you know, significant sections of scripture. Uh, it's, I, I don't want to be, dis, we're not dismissive of this, of the scriptural text. I think that what we're critical of is we've seen in our lifetime, how destructive, storytelling has been that tells a particular narrative that's looking for particular things in scripture that don't end up coming true. Right. And the people spend their life, uh, Jeremy, last week I was, I um, prayed over a woman that is dying with her family, godly woman, uh, 93 years old, lived a long life. Her children are just pillars, you know, it's one of these sweet, um, sweet moments where really a, a saint, you know, is, is going to be with the Lord. And uh, I stepped away from the bed and one of her daughters said to me, she would be really upset to know that she's dying. And I said, because we had just talked about, you know, how, how joyful it will be a reunion with Christ and stuff, you know. And I said, come again? She said, well, for the last 50 years, she's been preaching that she's going to be raptured. And, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the, the, you know, the problem with that is, you know, it looks like... Uh, She's not, you know, and and so and so there is even come in her quickly, children, Lord. Jesus. It, yeah, I mean, even in her in her children, you know, they kind of are looking at this at her life, and they're saying, you know, a lot of the things that she was saying or teaching were futile because the fact of the matter is, like, she didn't need to just be preparing for the rapture; she needed to live right here, right now. You know, I mean, I mean, that's and this is the this so this is what Jeremy and I. What we see in evangelicalism, and this is why this is the title of our podcast. We're not, we're not just ripping the church. We're not leaving. We're not saying, you know, forget these people. That's not our mission. What we're saying is, okay, we're evangelical Christians, and somehow the good news has been hijacked to be something that's out there, to be something that's other than this world. And part of it has to do with prophecy and eschatology, right? And all this stuff. I do want to say, um, so Jesus talks about the end um, in Matthew 24. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many come in my name claiming I am the Christ and, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Do you hear what Jesus says? See to it that you're not alarmed. Um, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Even after these things, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. And this is this is Pauline theology then. Mm. The earth groans mm. in expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, right? Um, then Jesus says this, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. So, to your point earlier, in American Christianity, we're like, whoa, 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 there's persecution. I don't want that. But the fact of the matter is, if you're following Jesus, he's saying to you, this is going to happen to you. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And this was the this was part of our part one. The people showing the right, the false prophets showing up. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Jeremy, it's one of the most chilling verses in all the Bible to me. Hmm. 
the love of most will grow cold. Mm. I mean, Jesus says by this, people are going to know you're my disciples and you love one another. And he, but he, he says, you know, I'm, I'm almost done. But he who stands firm to the end mm. will be saved. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And yes, this last verse that I just read was a part of the great missionary movement that was birthed around the same time of premillennialism. How do we know when Jesus is going to come? Jesus is going to come when we've proclaimed his name in all of the nations. So let's mobilize and let's get to all of the nations, which is which has been so frustrating to me when I look at the history of the missions movement. I mean, yes, so many great things has happened as the gospel has been spread, but in some, some of the motivation of the missionary movement has not been love and compassion. It's been, let's propagate this gospel to the ends of the world so that we can kind of control and manipulate the end times or something, which is not the heart of the gospel, which is not the point of why Jesus was telling us this stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think what's, What's just fascinating to me is the disciples thought Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. So all of this stuff that's right that Jesus is talking about was happening then. But then when we hear about wars and rumors of wars, we're like, well, Jesus said this was going to happen. It's like, yeah, but it was because the disciples literally believed that before they died, Jesus was going to come back again. And, and yet we somehow think that this was talking about where we are today. Um, you, right. got, you got another. another? Well, so, so, we we had talked about just um the, it would be impossible for us in a podcast right now to kind of go through all of the scriptures that are scriptures of prophecy i read daniel 8 i just read matthew matthew 24 those are pretty significant passages you can go and read more from them on your own the fact of the matter is you don't have to search very hard on the internet to find people preaching the things that we're talking about today. So instead of like arguing with them, like we'll let them speak for themselves and we're just gonna say really kind of what we want to say today about end times prophecy. So yeah, if you came, if you came to this podcast, you've been listening for 35 minutes and you're probably at this, if the reason that you started listening today was because you really thought we were gonna explain the end times. It was a bait and switch, you guys. I'm, I'm really sorry. It probably didn't work, but there was yeah, no, yeah. nonetheless, nonetheless. So sorry to all of those um, listeners out there. But hey, listen, I will just say this again. If you want to get us to say what you want to say, you could consider sponsoring <laughs> us because we still have yet to get this. But let's do just clear the air. We do believe Jesus is coming back. Absolutely. We, it's, that's Christian. I mean, that's ab- Christian eschatology. Ag- absolutely. But I think that what's important is what does that mean for us? Like you said, you just said it in the present. And I think that when I hear that passage about Jesus, the very next passage is popular Matthew 25. Yes. Where he talks about what the end's going to look like. I think it's one the of the judgment. only times that the Jesus judgment. talks about what judgment is going to look like. And I think what's so what's so huge, and I, I've been reading a lot of Wesley, I've been reading some C.S. Lewis about all of this stuff um, for different reasons, but... I think that what is what they all try to hint at is not let's worry about how it's all going to work out. But Wesley was really committed to saying that the way that we understand eschatology or end times is we have to understand it in what Jesus did on the cross. And that we we, we shouldn't Wesley said any any idea of trying to figure it all out is just speculation. Yeah. It's just speculation. So let's let's get busy with who 
that 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 what is the most important thing and i think that that this is what jesus was talking about in matthew 25 and i think it's what c.s lewis talks about and john wesley is the most important thing is not how it's all going to unfold but who are we becoming right now how are we loving the way that jesus called us to love because in the end we will kind of be the sum total of all the decisions and all of the things that we've decided to be. And so the most important thing, and I think what Wesley was saying is that we got to tie it back to the cross, is the cross for Wesley. And I think for us is this formational piece about how we should then live in loving God and loving others, that what happened on the cross was not somehow this satisfying of of a wrath but it was showing us the expression of how much god loves us and the world and it and for wesley and for others it applied to to all of it right to how we care for the earth that that wesley didn't believe that the world was getting worse 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 and worse and then jesus was going to come back but he was very optimistic that people can change and that in that change, we can partner with God in bringing about his kingdom and his rule and his reign on the earth. Um, that Revelation 11, that's what we're heading for, right? Like the kingdom of this earth has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Messiah, Handel's Messiah. And, and we believe that that's where we're heading is that heaven and earth are going to be one, that it's, it's going to this new creation, this new understanding. And, and so that is an optimistic view but it's it literally screams and heads back into how I live my life today and causes me or should cause me to understand that he has a work for me to do and a life for me to live and a way to be transformed and a way to be molded that makes the world um, more like he is king and he is Lord. And I live my life with the understanding that Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't or whatever word you want well, to put in that. And to me, that's what Revelation is saying is be faithful, as Jesus said in, in Matthew 24, be faithful in the midst of wherever you find yourselves, whatever you're going through, because in the end, God's going to redeem it all. Yes. Well, so you, the point that you make is kind of the final turn that we want to make on the episode today. Your eschatology, your view of the end shapes the way you live your life. Yeah. That's really why eschatology matters, is not to figure out the math of exactly what's going to happen, but you need to realize that what you believe about where this is all headed directly affects the way you live your life. And the problem with people stopping in Matthew 24 is that they don't recognize that then Jesus, you know, through, through Matthew's account, says, you want to be ready for, for the end? whatever you do for the least of these yeah. you do for me yeah that's eschatology yeah like you're gonna get caught at the judgment with your pants down if you don't feed people clothe people visit people right i mean this is this is matthew 25 okay so you had brought up john wesley and his positive view of revelation so a lot of people talk about the world burning i hear this a lot uh, I, I just heard this uh, this um, last this last week. I was talking to a young couple, and they were talking about the world in which they were brought up, the evangelical ideology, and the idea was the world's going to burn anyway. That it's all going up in flames at the end. Well, there is actually an alternative vision to that that is in Revelation twenty one that John shares, and this is a significant and often neglected aspect of revelation that I think that I want to lift up. And then we'll talk about where we're going. Cause you were kind of going toward, um, even our relation, um, our, 
our relationship with each other and our relationship with the earth. I think that both are important. We tend not to talk about our relationship with the earth in church very much because we know so many of our people are premillennialists that think that the world is going to burn, so we should be indifferent. And to... I think it's it's become a political issue. Oh, so we come... don't want to like any. We can't talk honestly about scripture because we are afraid that we'll be Offending. labeled yeah. as liberal, tree hugging, whatever. Sure. So this is what this is what uh, uh, John says in his Revelation of Jesus Christ. This is starting in chapter twenty one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There are two ways of reading this passage. The first is when John says, um, for the old, uh, um, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, there's a way of, of seeing this as like a death or a burning, like that somehow they were discarded. That's one way of reading this passage. Mm -hmm. The other way of reading this passage, and this is Wesley's way, this is the early holiness movement way, is that the people of God, that through that God through his people renewed and redeemed the earth mm -hmm. in such a way that inaugurated the coming of God to dwell on earth with men. And so this is also, this is what, what you just referenced in Revelation chapter 11. Um, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he will reign forever and ever there is this idea in revelation that god so so the the promise the promise uh, in chronicles to solomon solomon's having this conversation with god at the consecration of the temple and solomon says he asks of god will god indeed dwell here on earth with men and what John says in Revelation, he hearkens back to this, this, this idea of this theocracy of God dwelling on earth with the Israelites. And he says in the Revelation, he says, indeed, God will dwell on earth with men. And this becomes kind of a really significant um, element of, of this is not that it becomes, it is a significant element of the book of Revelation. And this is for the early church of the nazarene of which jeremy and i are a part this was actually their eschatology at the beginning of the 20th century as they were being formed was that they were a part of this radical movement of god in the world that was bringing about god's dwelling on earth with men and they understood themselves to have an inaugurated eschatology an understanding of of inaugurating the the work of inaugurating kingdoms god's god's kingdom coming now it, it ought to be stated that world war one definitely um uh made made the visions of i mean before the turn of the 20th century to the beginning of world war one is really a radical time of innovation the car the airplane i mean just um lighting the city streets all these things amazing things are coming and people are thinking like the kingdom of god is coming then world war one happens and people are thinking you know evil is still rampant then world war ii happens then the red scare happens and so historically we have we have kind of waffled back and forth 
depending on what's happening historically on what we think about eschatology. But the fact of the matter is, regardless of what we is happening to us historically, the word of God does remain constant. Yeah. And there is, we, we do believe that God is going to redeem the earth. Yeah. Jeremy, I, I just have been thinking this last week about how crazy this is, that we are on a ball, a massive ball that is spinning, that is spinning in a, on an axis in a circle and then is traveling, you know, millions of miles an hour through the through the universe millions of miles an hour hundreds of thousands of, i'm not a physicist and this is I was where gonna I, say, this that seems like a lot but i don't know it could be well wrong. but we're traveling in a it's, circle it's fast we're traveling in a circle around a center of gravity that is the sun that is 93 million miles away from us yeah right and we're we're traveling the circumference of that diameter right yeah. i mean it's just crazy it's, it's bonkers it's crazy and yet so we like god we if we believe that god created this universe in all of its splendor and its glory. I don't know why we want to believe that God's just going to burn it all. Like what a Sarah, like what a sad, terrible view of like, on the one hand, we want to say that we have this high view of creation. Right. But on the other hand, we want to say, but you know what? God's just going to, he's just going to burn it all in a fireball at the end. It's like why why would you why would you want to live toward that idea if you have any high view of the creator or creation at all? Yeah. I think what's what's really what I just love is is I think that and even um if you have a Bible that has titles, you know, I, I'm the titles were added later, you know, John didn't write all these titles in, in the middle of his letter, but Revelation 22 is called Eden Restored. I love that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the title of it. And I think it's a beautiful, appropriate, it's not a new Eden, but the Eden, the garden is restored and and put back to right the way that God intended for it to be. And And I think that we, that's lost on most conservative evangelical Christianity as we think it's going to be something just totally different some other place and yet it's this restored understanding and so the bible almost becomes full circle and obviously john the revelator probably had genesis and thought you know what they're gonna think this is awesome (laughs) jeremy jeremy (laughs) he had no idea we'd be reading it but i'm just just gonna tie this up for these seven churches that i'm writing to that, that 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 it's i'm it's it's this restored understanding listen to these words this is this is revelation 22 then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of of the nations yeah the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be, um, which, for those, uh, we, we, because of the thief in the night and these other things, we think that this is like some sort of tattoo. Um, even the ancients understood that, the, that, that we had a brain, a frontal lobe. Yeah. And so when they say that someone's name is on their forehead, essentially that means like, when, um, the the forehead is the seat of thoughts, 
So God is on your thoughts. God is in your thoughts. And hands are the place of actions, right? So forehead and forehead and arms. So Deuteronomy says, bind it around your head and bind it around your wrist. It was what we think and what we do. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. Mm. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Isn't that awesome? It's so amazing. And so to me, you know, this is, I don't know that the, what the whole point is, but I think the point that we wanted to really drive at was our understanding of what, what the end's going to be. So when you read Revelation 21, there would be no more mourning or tears or pain or sorrow. It reminded me of um, the Beatitudes when Jesus said, the people who are blessed are those who, those who mourn will be comforted. Um, that the best we can do is to live life that if that's what ultimately it's going to be, then maybe the best we can do and what it means to live for the kingdom is to comfort those who are mourning now, to wipe away the people with tears now, to to bring a sense of hope and, and understanding. And that as we do that with the people that we interact with, as we do that for creation, as we try to, to, to do those things, in essence, what we are doing is bringing the end into where we currently find ourselves. Yeah. We are bringing that kingdom, that yeah. understanding where we are. Yeah. And anytime we live into that story, um, that the, some theologians call it like thin places where heaven and earth are closer yeah. than you ever think. Um, that when we comfort those who are crying, when we wipe tears, when we feed the hungry, heaven and earth get just a little bit closer and the place that, that would potentially separate heaven and earth becomes thinner and thinner and thinner. And we are working towards the time when God will once again dwell with his people. One of the things, one of my favorite elements of that, that Revelation 22 that you mentioned, the idea of the leaves being for the healing of the nations. Part of end times prophecy, one of the significant historical events that led people to really believe that we are in the time of the end times was the creation of the formal state of Israel in 1948, which had not happened you know, since the exile. And... One of the things that has become kind of a political issue, particularly for evangelical Christians, is this pro-Israel ideology, which, you know, for somebody who's not a Christian, who's not a person of faith, who doesn't know the Bible, they we ought to just recognize that they look at us and they're like, well, of course you're pro-Israel, because if you don't have Israel, you don't have a seat at the table in the Middle East, and you don't you don't have any place from which to strike all of your enemies in the Middle East. I mean, you know, Israel... You know, you want to say that it's, you know, you love it because of the Bible, but the fact of the matter is it's a really great political asset for you. You know, I mean, that's just the people on the outside, what they would say. And then they're probably a little right, at least. Right. <laughs> but the, but the thing is, um, revelation, John's revelation doesn't just hearken to a pro-Israel theocracy, but it goes all the way back to Abraham. Yeah. When what does God say to Abraham in Genesis 12? But all nations will be blessed through you. You know who's a part of all nations, Jeremy? The Palestinians. You know who's a part of all nations, Jeremy? The Iranians. You know who's a part of all nations? The Iraqis. You know who's a part of all nations? The Egyptians. You know who's a part of all nations? The Saudis. Yeah. 
All of these people are a part of all nations. And one of the things that breaks my heart in contemporary Christianity is that we we just lift up this pro-America, pro-Israel stance, us over against the world. And it's not the will of God. Hasn't been the will of God from the beginning, not the will of God at the end. It's for all nations. And, you know, you your uh, pastoral moment a little bit ago just about kind of instructing what what we are today as far as like caring for caring for the people that you know Ma- that Matthew 25 says Jesus says and that's 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 inaugurated eschatology that's bringing the end here I I want to be a part of an evangelical movement that says you know what we are for the nations and we're not just for their conversion so that they can buy all of our capitalist goods and they can just be a part of our consumer machine but we're we're for the nations in that we are willing to lose our national identity for the sake of the gospel. And if it means that you get ahead, if it means that we don't have nuclear weapons, if it means if it means peace in the world, if it means peace among the nations, like that is a radical Christian eschatology that you, you know, it doesn't line up with, you know, any any political party right now, you know? Well, I think I just read it. I had a, I'm sorry to the author. I forget what book I read it in, but I think I just read it yesterday. Um, that when Israel got more concerned about its politics and standing in the world and forgot about the call that God had originally had for them is when they started to to fall and to get sidetracked. And And I think that we have to recapture that understanding that the whole point of why God has us here as the church or as Christians, as people, as evangelicals, as good news is, is to be a blessing to the world, to, to yeah. be a blessing to the world. And I think that is world cosmos, <laughs> be a blessing to Creation. all the created order, all the created order, which include people. Um, and, and that as we do that, we will become more like he wants us to be. And then we won't have to worry about what happens in the end. Um, I think that that as we become more like he originally created us to be, I think that's why he says, you're not going to have to fear. Like, there's no fear. Because the judgment part is 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 based on who you have become, not, um, not some magical thing that you decided after you died that now you want to do it the Jesus way. But it's it's who you are living, how you are living, what you have um, chosen to give your life to and for. And uh, if it, you know, just Jesus said it's love God and love others. Like this, that's, that's where we. All of the law and prophets hang, all hang on All the law and prophets. And, and, and so we should seek to, to love God with the perfect love as best as God gives us the ability and to love our neighbor the exact same way, yeah. which includes all the nations, includes all the nations. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 